Welcome to The Jig Is Up, and with me as always is Jason. How are you doing, Jason? Very good this evening, and how is Darcy down at Calgary? I am doing well. It's uh, still a little cold and a little snowy for me, but uh, we're hopefully, well, I guess we're going to get more snow this weekend. So, yay. Yay, me. I don't need to buy a gym. I can just go shovel. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? It's not yeah. like the city of Calgary clears any streets or sidewalks you down here, so they just kind of sit back and hope for a Chinook. So, yeah, you're definitely doing a lot of shoveling. Me too. Where I live, I am 911, so i got to shovel my own driveway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we had, last week, uh, we had started uh, kind of talking about education, and I had my daughter on, and I thought uh, we would finish it off with some of the feedback I got from university students and some of the issues that they faced or are facing in university. I was hoping to have some university students here to talk to, but we just couldn't line it up. It just didn't work out. So it's just me and you tonight, but we'll go through some of the issues that they had sent in through Facebook, through email and uh, Messenger and all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate it for everybody that sent in messages um, and sent in comments. Some were really, really long. Some were really short, but I appreciated them all. So we'll just, uh, I don't know, are you ready to dig into this, Jason? As much as possible, I, I think it was some of the information was a little bit overwhelming. Some of it I had no clue about and never heard of. And so it was pretty informative uh, for everybody who sent in the information, and I really appreciate them taking the time to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think what I'd like to start with, I think, is the funding, because that seemed to be a very common theme. And even in the Métis that I've talked to in person, um, even if they're from Red River and stuff like that, funding seems to be... Uh, a big issue and it's qualifying for you know uh, scholarships and things like that but even the hoops that they have to jump through in order to to get scholarships i know a couple of university students that did get the did get that did get scholarships and man the the letters of recommendation they needed from community they had to have so much volunteer time they and uh you know that might just be a scholarship thing but uh, it just seemed like a lot of hoops to go through for what ended up being with some of them ended up being like maybe a thousand dollars, so it's not like their education is just laid out in front of them on a red carpet. Uh, but I noticed what that... <laughs> I thought all Métis people just got free education. Yeah, didn't you know all Indigenous people get free education? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and and we'll get to stereotypes in a minute here. Um, <laughs> But uh, so one of the big things I noticed was the Inspire, and people are not too happy with Inspire as an organization and how they handle their their scholarships or their grants, whatever they call them, bursaries. Uh, basically, essentially, if you didn't have your your cartel card, uh, you didn't get anything. So this leaves out certain organizations. Like I mean, you know, even the Northwest Territories. There, there's the Métis guys that are working on their the first Métis land deal in Canada. And uh, they, they're not, I don't think they qualify because they're not part of the cartel. They're not on the Inspire list of organizations that's recognized. And so this, yeah, this for, is creating a big issue. Was, that was a kind of a shock for me is that Inspire largely only uh, looks at the government organizations that are paid representative organizations. So if you're not part of a government paid organization, you are back of the bus. Well, that's just it. And they don't look at uh, communities. They don't look at, you know, community support, nothing. It's if you don't have a cartel card, then you don't get anything, which I just, I mean, that just doesn't seem right to me. But 
that's what a lot of people faced, and that was a re- that was a reoccurring comment. I bet you if, if we got 20 messages, that was probably in 16 of them, was mm-hmm. the problems with Inspire and how they give out their their uh, bursaries. Um, and well, that was really problematic for me because, I mean, it really shows that the government doesn't believe in the freedom of association for uh, Indigenous people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it forces you to be part of a group that whether you can or, or choose not to be. Um and, so, and, and I think that is problematic. I think it is, it, it's not a way for Indigenous organizations to, to handle Indigenous uh, people and Indigenous students. It's not, A, it's not fair, and like you said, it, it violates your charter. Right. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and there, there's nothing in there. It doesn't take into account that, let's say, I was uh, capable of getting my card in the cartel, but I choose not to and go with a different organization. Well, you're out. You don't get any funding. So it, it isn't even applying funding to one type of Métis. It's only applying funding to one organization of Métis. Yeah. Um, which, to me, is is the, a huge problem. Yeah, just even from a like even from a colonial government standpoint, I found that highly you know suspect. Just for the fact that every other avenue is uh, free from that singular criteria of association, and yet when it comes to Inspire you're immediately pigeonholed to be part of an organization. I mean, can you imagine of all the different kind of grants for education there are like in Alberta, there's the other for fund. If you had to be part of a specific organization, even begin to have a, you know, your application looked at, you know, how many students would fail that? That's, you know, it's highly suspect. Well, it is. And, and then I, you know, I have to start to wonder like this money that Inspired gets, um, I don't know if it's public money, taxpayer money that they're getting. I'm, I'm assuming they're getting money from the government for these things, for these bursaries. But if it is taxpayer money, is it fair for them to discriminate using taxpayers' money? I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't think that is right. But, hey. Um, so that was a running theme. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things said, like people were told that, uh, you know, half-breeds from the East weren't recognized as Indigenous. And so they fail to meet any eligibility for cri- any criteria for eligibility. Um, so even the scholarships that were for indi- for Indigenous people don't recognize that you know the half breeds from the east or, or half breeds outside the cartel that I I guess are not Indigenous because you're on, you know but they're calling them half breeds. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, that's problematic. I mean, if you have an Indigenous ancestor, are you not Indigenous at least? Um, well, and that's you should be able to qualify. And really goes to show how the government, the federal government, and organizations like this are using some provincial politics, uh, like in Quebec, where there isn't any treaty signed uh, with anybody uh, to negate again indigenous identity. Absolutely, and and really, that's the biggest thing here is that it it negates the Eastern Métis identity. It negates uh, you know anybody from a lot of people from Quebec and things like that. So really, this this boils down to you know, in my opinion, almost an, an English French thing. Um, you know, let's let's hate the French people because we're English, and, and so yeah, it's just flat out discrimination. Um, and the other things that were brought up about funding uh, with some of the people was that, you know, some of the funding they received only covered certain expenses, but not so that it, they. It's not like they just got say five hundred dollars that they could use for books. They got five hundred dollars they could use. This much for this expense and this much for that expense, or 
you know, or however that works. So that was one of the other things. Uh, I mentioned the hoops that people had to jump through with all of the paperwork they got to fill out and the forms they got to fill out and the time it takes to fill all this out and get approvals. And, you know, some people were, I, I think I talked to one person, they were, they had applied two years in advance for scholarships. And this was not with Inspire, but uh, for scholarships that were available to her. And she is of the Red River descent. And it still, it was like, it was getting down to the point where she's going, I don't know if I'm going to school because I don't still haven't heard about this scholarship. And fi- you know, finally, with like a couple of weeks, kind of to before deadline, she got the word that she got it. But um, just the length of time it took to get that was crazy. Well, for me, it really showed that was kind of enlightening is that uh, how tied to the Indian Act and it, all these things are. And they're supposed to be, uh, you know, a totally separate organization. They're supposed to be, I mean, let's face facts, targeting indigenous people to further education among a population that is considered undereducated. Yeah. And and so to engage indigenous people and Métis people specifically into the education system, they make it so erroneous that it's almost impossible. And then they shift shift the blame back onto our own people of why we're not going to seek post-secondary education. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't know, it just seems, uh, and I think one of the things, too, that bothered me was a lot of it was uh, labeled as Indigenous funding, which is great, so it's specific for Indigenous people. But then you have to realize you're also then competing with, you know, like a million other people out there, or, well, I, a little less than that, for scholarships. But it's not like there's Métis-specific or First Nation-specific. There, there are some that are specific, but... A lot of them were just open to general indigenous people. Um, so I guess they're, they're just simply a lot of competition for very little amount of funding, relatively speaking. I mean, when you look at the kind of scholarships that are available to non-indigenous, it's it's uh, there's a lot. So it, I think there's a lot of competition for, for a small amount of money in the end. Oh, I totally think so. And I think that is the problem is the government sure likes to do the two-step is they talk about uh, reconciliation. They talk about uh, in funding uh, for Indigenous people, Métis people. They talk about uh, education and trying to to enable more Métis people to access the system right up until you actually need the money. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, it, you know, what, that was what was really enlightening to me is that there's all the barriers. So a lot of, again, government word that really turns into no action and is, is punitive to, you know, students. You know, these aren't business people. They're not, you know, grant applicators. These are students trying to apply for funding. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, one of the last things about funding that uh, somebody had mentioned uh, was that they got they did get support, which was great, but they got it in, like, their la- final two semesters of their degree. So it was kind of like, well, you prove to us that you're going to graduate and then we'll help you out right at the end. Which, like, like this person said, that is great and it definitely was helpful and he's not going to complain that they gave him some money. Um, but it was just that for the first three years, three and a half years, it was like, you know, tooth and you know, scrimping and saving and trying to get by on next to nothing. Um, so I don't I don't know, maybe maybe that's you got you to pay your dues before you can get some money from, I, I don't know. Yeah, typical. Right when you need it most is, you know, usually by the fourth year, 
you know, I'm not a big university guy, but, you know, you've settled into the rhythm of school. It's usually right out of the gate, boy, that you need the most help to, to do anything. Yeah. And and yet that's when we, you know, the government that's supposed to be working to, to solve these roadblocks uh, put up the most. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely was not a lot of stories about the, the wondrous free education that uh, Indigenous people get. There was not, didn't, didn't receive any stories about that. So, you know, we're still waiting. Um, and then I think moving on from funding, which was, seemed to be a very huge issue. And I don't, I don't want to downplay that, but it it was, those were kind of, those were the reoccurring themes. And I I think the biggest one out of all that was the fact that if you're not the right kind of Métis, then screw you, you get nothing, take a walk. And, and that's, to me, that's just really sad to, you're taking somebody who's 18, who who may may or may not really know what's going on in Métis polit- political world, is just starting out in life, and then they get like gut punched like that, saying, "Oh, you're not the right kind of Métis. See you later." So, I think it sends yeah, the wrong was, message. Well, I think, it, and I, I wonder even the legalities of it because it's the, you know restricts the, again the freedom of association. You don't have a choice whether you are the right kind of Métis or you're not. The government has sided with an organization's card. And I really dislike that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and and the thing is, is these are not uh, scholarships that are run through those organizations. These are independent uh, organizations offering bursaries and scholarships and things like that. So I can understand if the if the you know one of the cartel organizations decided we're going to have a scholarship or a bursary. I, I it actually makes total sense to me that they offer it only to their members. That's yeah. That is reasonable. Absolutely. Yeah. But when it comes to like Inspire or any other organization that's n- independent of them, well, I, I don't really think you should be discriminating because that's what it boils down to. It's pure, pure discrimination. So. Yeah. And then that's a good segue into the next kind of set of of issues that was brought up um, that was sent to us was discrimination, and it's. It's not only just East versus West. There's so many facets to this on a university campus. So first we're going to start off with uh, in the indigenous spaces in universities. Uh, a lot of universities have an indigenous center, indigenous, indigenous area kind of thing for indigenous students to go hang out and you know be safe being indigenous and be with other indigenous people. And what I got from a lot of Métis were that they those spaces were not necessarily welcoming to them. They weren't necessarily recognizing that Métis of any kind were truly Indigenous people. Um, 99% of what goes on there is focused on First Nation and Inuit and very little to do with Métis. Um, and so that that was the first big thing, and I thought that was a pretty much... I mean, that's kind of a shame. These spaces are meant to be places where people can go and feel feel comfortable, feel safe, you know, and it's just not that way for Métis of any kind. I think that is the the big challenge, uh, being Métis in and of itself, as you and I have talked about on several levels, um, is Métis culture, its influence in the larger mindset, even with our First Nations relations, what does it mean to be Métis? You know, what impact does it have on us today? What is the living culture of being Métis? And so, even outside of university, I think this is a, uh, a relevant conversation. 
And again, the problem I have with this in a university context is university is by definition, uh, you know, a government subsidized organization that's there to create space for the three indigenous uh, people groups in Canada that are that are recognized under Section 35. And because um, the Métis people, again, are a fairly small group, uh, we sure seem to always be on the last leg of that, that totem pole. Absolutely. And, and I think, for me, I, I started thinking about, like, why why would, you know, 18-year-old First Nation or 20-year-old First Nation or Inuit feel that way towards Métis people? And it actually started making me, it got me thinking about the things like with, uh, you know, the MMF president saying to an AMC chief, oh, you guys don't own the land. And it just made me think of a lot of the uh, um, animosity between Métis and, and First Nations groups uh, because of, you know, resource mm. deals and things like that. Deals being made on traditional territory by Métis who are not, you know, who don't care to even bother to talk to that group. It's just, screw you guys, you guys are on your own, we're on our own. So everybody, it's a free-for-all. And so I can't help but think maybe that plays into some of this uh, animosity like that, because that animosity would then be passed on to the next generation, right? Well, and we we see that quite a bit on social media. You have uh, Ontario chiefs like Isidore Date speaking very uh, loudly against the Métis Nation of Ontario, making resource extraction deals on traditional Indigenous land. And so there, there's no doubt there is this ongoing separation, and we have, you know, we, you know, we've talked about this too about reconciliation between Métis people and our First Nations relations. It's very sad that that would then spill over in, at the university level. Absolutely, and and you know this is something that I th- it came up a lot, and it's it, I've actually had a lot of people uh, tell me this that I've spoken to just in person over the last, you know, two to five years or whatever, coming in contact with Métis people going to university. Um, I've heard this a lot. There's, and and I mean, a resounding theme for a lot of Métis is they don't even feel, com- they just don't feel comfortable even saying they're Métis in, in any group. And and they're going to university, they're taking that with them, and so, like, it's almost like they're so afraid to even identify as Métis. I mean, that's just a shame. That is the sad reality of what all of this Métis identity politics and and bullshit really uh, amounts to is we're, we're passing it on to the next generation to a lot of people who are even afraid to say they're Métis. And uh, that's what we end up with today. Yeah, and that, that was an eye-opener again on that specific topic is to see how much this uh, politics has boiled down to Basically, in my mind, putting the next generation of Métis kids right back on the road allowance. Yeah, absolutely. Totally sidelined in the Indigenous conversation. Where where we have kids growing up today who carry the same shame center that uh, people's grandparents carried. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you can't help but look to, you know, our generation of what's going on in the Métis world. You know, I mean, five minutes on Facebook will tell you all you need to know about why it is university kids feel ashamed to be Métis. I mean, go on Facebook. It's pretty pretty easy to tell. Um, so yeah, and, and Lord, help, Lord help you if you go to uh, the University of Alberta. Like, I can't imagine a more absolutely hostile environment to, uh, you know, 
try to hang on to or talk about a Métis identity in such a hostile, you know, identity politic-ridden environment. Well, absolutely. I mean, you got two guys up there that have written books, you know, that are just absolute garbage about Eastern Métis, and and of course that they're teaching it. So yay, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, to me that just is a real shame. For what all uh, you know, all these cartel organizations—they they like to brag about how awesome they are, and yet there's kids going to university that are ashamed to say they're Métis. And I've talked to people with a Métis Nation of Alberta card who are like that. So it's it's not just Eastern Métis or the other Métis or small M's. It's people who maybe they didn't grow up in a real connected family because the Métis Nation of Alberta doesn't do anything to connect families to culture. And so their parents didn't do anything to connect with culture. So they have a plastic card. They got an Inspire Award, but they don't know anything about it, so they're afraid to talk about it. And and, and that's another shame of, of what's been happening in, in Métis world, at least in the, you know, the cartel homeland. Exactly. And then that boils over to, to that space, right, where you have a very strong Indigenous uh, First Nations culture and a very strong Inuit culture. Yeah. Um that that only even further highlights the discrepancy of how not that's so with Métis people. There's not a strong Métis culture, regardless of what people would like to tell you. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of the, the comments, too, that people got were things like, uh, even though, you know, okay, yeah, you might be Métis, but you're not Indigenous enough. Um, sort of an, a general attitude towards Métis that they had to prove their indigeneity. Like, I don't know, through somehow, like it does go into sweats on a regular basis, make you more indigenous or less or, you know, so I think there was a lot of that feeling too of like, how do I prove not only that I'm Métis, but I have to prove that I'm Métis and I have a strong indigenous connection like that would please, you know, these other groups and I don't know how to do that. And I think it puts a lot of stress on on Métis students going to university, a lot of stress they, they don't need. So, yeah, and that that's the the real shame is that instead of being culturally inclusive, uh, due to the lack of of uh, these organizations promoting Métis culture, kids are floundering in that space and not feeling secure about their identity. No, and then what it what it does is it drives it. They're there to get a four year degree, and so that what they're going to do is go. You know what? It's just easier if I just don't even mention it, and I. If I just go through this whole university experience just being your average Joe Canadian, it's so much easier than trying to argue Métis and be Métis and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, the one girl I talked to or, or that she sent a message in, she, she was saying, like, even when she does mention she's Métis and she's of Red River descent, but uh, all the other students are then like, oh, oh, it must be nice to get a free education. So, so she's like, you know, you go to these cities and nobody still has a clue. So it's just easier just to not say anything. It, it's just easier that way. So there's that side of it too, where the general public of Canada is so uneducated on anything Indigenous that those stereotypes of free education and all this stuff, don't pay taxes, that's just prolific in in universities today oh absolutely and i mean even if people had an iota clue about what being metis is then you get the same rhetoric with that as well you know oh the the red river resistance and the ori rebellion 
you know, and how old Louis there was hung because he's a traitor. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't end, right? Like, yeah. So even if you do manage to get someone who has a clue in a carload of the, what being Métis means, the the education leading up to university is so horribly flawed in, in uh, Métis identity and history that you get that rhetoric. Oh, yeah. And then and that's a, a great lead-in because the next thing I was going to talk about was exactly that. Um, many of them mentioned that the actual Indigenous uh, classes that they took on Indigenous history, Indigenous people... Uh, Métis people were a very short, brief part of that. Uh, the history was really glossed over, and the were you know it's still a Red River rebellion, and Riel is still a, a traitor. Those were that's what's being taught in university, and so it was like, you know, you you, you, you take an indigenous class to learn about indigenous people, and what you learn about is First Nations, Inuit, and the Métis. And there was a rebellion, and they hung the traitor, Riel, and, you know, that's it. That's good. So it's just like you said, only that's not just high school, that's university too. Awesome. Yeah, and it's shocking to me that that's still going on because we have um, Métis people who are the professor of Indigenous Studies here in Alberta. Uh, They've written books. You know, we should be having a better education on that. I think it even speaks further, like what I was thinking about reading some of these responses. It really shows, though, how in the uh, Canadian school system that uh, Indians are still uh, so have so much mythology around them. Oh, yeah. And so we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the Plains Indians, the buffalo, the teepee, and all that wonderful imagery, you know, skirting all, of course, the political issues and starvation and all that stuff. And then the Métis people don't really fit the narrative, right? No, absolutely. There's, because the Métis people really are the fur trade transition in between people. But you need to, and I think this is very very much the educational process, is that they, they talk about our First Nations relations, and then their time comes to an end, and immediately settler society takes off. Yeah. And, you know, Métis people are in this, you know, no man's limbo, right up until, you know, we shot a few government people and they hung Real. Well, then, boop, back on Canadian politics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, but then Manitoba was formed, so it was all good. We're all done now. And then there was a little skirmish somewhere else in a place called Batosh, but eh, other than that, we're good. So you're absolutely yeah, right. But- it's like a stopgap between, you know, First Nation, like, indi- you know, those indigenous and settler life. Yeah, because the whole teaching on what I found uh, from my own experience is the First Nations discussion comes to an end with the signing of the treaties. And somehow that magically made way for uh, the settler society. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so there's not this talk of transitional, the whole fur trade industry and how the Métis people drew, drove that or how Métis people played an integral part in in the signing of those treaties and as interpreters and guides and all the, the beautiful tapestry that Métis people played. It really doesn't fit the narrative of there were Native people here, treaties were signed, and then they gave all the land to the settlers. And so Métis people are kind of this, whoop, you know? yeah. Well, and it, I think it plays into that the same old stereotype that, you know, this was a savage land full of savage people, and we came and tamed it. And as soon as we signed those treaties, then Canada and, and the beautiful country that we have today was formed. And it, it, yeah. you're right, it just kind of skips right over how that happened. It just magically went from savage to beautiful settler life. <laughs> Well, and I think that's why the Métis people have and still are pigeonholed 
as re- it's a resistance, it's a rebellion against what what is in the settler mind, righteous progress. Mm-hmm. And, and to really get into the meat and potatoes of why the Métis people stood up against the, the expansion of settler society is to delve into that whole conversation. And when you have kids growing up in high school, through the high school system and then into university, you can't go to the high school and then go to the university and have them totally contradict your education. Absolutely. Oh, no, kids, we're sorry. All that shit you learned from grade 1 to 12 <laughs> about, you know, the treaties and all that stuff. No, 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 that was all wrong, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You're not gonna you know suddenly transition into learning the the true harshness of of colonialism and what how Canada was built. No, no, no. That would be difficult. Let's just stick with the rose colored glasses. Yeah, and for me personally, I think that's why really the the whole uh, Riel incident and and uh, gets glossed over is because you can't really get into the meat and potatoes of why that even took place. Well, that's just it, and I think uh, I think the way it's seen, honestly, is that it is just a small, tiny bit of time, and so therefore, it's really not worthy of spending a lot of time on. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, so I don't know. It, it was it's really sad, but again, that goes back to our conversation of of exonerating Louis Riel because you go to universities and they're teaching them that it's a rebellion. It was he was a traitor because that's what the government, what he legally classified as. And so it goes back to that again. We could have that conversation again. I know we could. We've had it twice now. Um, (laughs) But but that is, it is another highlight of why that is so important is to change the narrative right from kindergarten, right through university, and right through all your master's and PhD programs in Indigenous studies. It needs to change. Absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of a sad statement on on university as far as their indigenous programming when when that's the case when you know Métis kids get the class and they think okay well I'm gonna you know even if I don't have a lot of knowledge on Métis history I'm gonna, now I'm gonna learn it because I'm taking indigenous studies classes and they still don't get it <laughs> so yeah. you know there's there's that thirst there for knowledge I think that and it's not getting satisfied. Which, well, and again, it's all misinformation, and it's you know a misappropriation of of Métis culture and Métis facts to suit the colonial narrative, and that's a in the modern society, this is the dichotomy we have, and it's real a real challenge, I think, for kids. You want to go to university because you want to get that degree, you want to increase your knowledge level, and you're so you're going there, and it doesn't matter how much you know your own Métis history or not. You have a professor at the front now who's teaching it this way, which means any test you write, any information you're required to write down, now has to be from that slant. Exactly. Well, and, and I think and that's that's a real tragedy. It is, and it makes it. I think again, it adds more stress to his students because if they do know the history, are they going to sit there and argue with their professor? Are they going to take on that role as the the guy who's going to educate or the the gal who's going to educate the professor? That's a lot of pressure on a kid. You know, um, well, and that always goes real well, right? When you, you really <laughs> take on your professor. Yeah. Yeah. You always get really high marks. I hear. Yeah. 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 No, nothing goes better for you. Fast tracking your education than duking it out with your professor, but who knows more? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of shortfalls and when we talk about, you know, funding, I think that's kind of step one of this whole process of what needs to be revamped when it comes to university education and, and specifically Métis people. Uh, funding is one thing, but I think all these other things, you know, the discrimination, things like that, 
these is a huge issue, and we're not even done yet. Um, so then we go on to another uh, guy fellow sent us an email, and I thought it was it was a really good email because he did kind of touch on these other topics, but he started talking about the 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 lack of cultural competency in general in most areas of study in university, not just you know the indigenous studies where they're teaching about Riel being a traitor. Um, but he he specifically was in the healthcare field, and he was talking about how, you know, I mean, there's there's we all know there's just systemic racism in in the healthcare field. If you if you think there's not, I I beg you to pull your head out of the bucket long enough to take a look around. Um, but he was talking <laughs> about how uh, you don't believe there's racism in the healthcare system. Just put on your powwow gear and go into the merge unit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he was talking about how when he's taking these classes, there's barely even any mention of indigenous issues or indigenous, uh, people, um, or perhaps, you know, how to be culturally aware for indigenous people or, you know, some of the problems that indigenous people face. And so to be prepared for that, like there's just hardly any mention of indigenous whatsoever. And so I thought that was a really good in, uh, comment to make because he said, you know, in most fields, no matter what you're in, whether it's healthcare or law or, um, you know, yeah, philosophy, there's just very, 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 very little to to know cultural competency when it comes to Métis people, or, uh, well, Indigenous people, but Métis people as well. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah, I, 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 it's a, that's a tough one because... Uh, you think typically think of healthcare as you know the the pharmaceutical side of things, or you know merge units or things like that, critical health. And there's not a lot of sensitivity to our traditional ways, our traditional knowledge, and it doesn't create a space where that again it, it isn't mocked, right? Like, what kind of uh, backwoods savagery is that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's absolutely it. And. Uh... You know, I mean, we have we do have some hospitals in Calgary, or not Calgary, in Canada. I think there's a couple of hospitals that have done something like put in a sweat lodge or something like that to help, you know, their Indigenous people with their healing. And they found that it has a really positive effect, but that's not being taught in university. So yeah. these kids coming out of university are then getting to the hospital going, whoa, what's this hut out here? That How is that helpful? That's mir- miraculous. I never learned about that in school. And it's kind of sad that, well, if you're going into a field, they should kind of be teaching you about what, what is going on in that field, in my opinion. But uh, So I thought that was sad. And I know from talking to other people, uh, when you look at something like law, um, there is almost next to no time spent on the Indian Act or Indigenous law, unless you want to specialize in, in that kind of law. And the the sad thing for me on that is when you look at the amount of Supreme Court cases, and I, I read some stats about a year ago about this. Um, the M- Supreme Court has made more decisions on Section 35 and 91 of the Constitution than all other areas of the Constitution combined. And those are the those two areas mm-hmm. obviously relate to Indigenous people. So Indigenous yeah. law is a big thing, but it, it they don't even teach it. No. And I think, again, that's the real problem is uh, you, you see this thread weave through there of the narrative of Indigenous history played in Canada, and it spills right over into 
you know, how can we talk about Indigenous law? How can we talk about, uh, you know, the unsettledness of treaties, the unsettledness of Métis land claims and, and Indigenous lands claims in general? When we teach opposite all the way up through high school that the treaties ended the Indigenous claim to land and made way for settlers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, then why is Indigenous issues and land claims and all this stuff hogging such mass space? In, in the Supreme Court of Canada. Absolutely. And I, I think even if you looked at uh, the, probably I'm guessing that the legal costs that the government of Canada incurs, I bet you the vast majority of them are probably for Indigenous issues of some sort. Um, well, they definitely have some of the highest price tags attached to them, right? Well, yeah, because everything's got to go to the Supreme Court, first of yeah. all. Um, but there's just so many of them. I mean, look at right now, there's, uh, you know, another guy launched a lawsuit in Saskatchewan about uh, the 60 scoop and leaving Métis out of that. Uh, so there's one more that's going to have to go to the Supreme Court. And, and these things, it's just a constant stream of court cases. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, we were talking last, last week about a court case where I was sitting there listening to the Supreme Court of Canada arguments. And, you know, this stuff just continues and continues. And what's, what I thought was interesting was you're teaching this colonial law system, but you're leaving out the Indian Act, which is part of the Constitution. So we're going to teach our Constitution to our lawyers, but not that part of the Constitution. Let's leave that well, part out. Yeah, and again, it really shows the dichotomy in the education system where there's this quiet underlying current that we just don't talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what message does that send? It's, it sends it to every student in law. Well, obviously, the Indian Act isn't that important. Otherwise, they would teach it. So indigenous well, it, issues it, aren't it, that important now. Well, it settles it right from, from childhood up and right from the education system up. And it says that Indian issues are resolved. And there's that underlying current that Indian issues and, and First Nations, indigenous issues are resolved. Yeah. And, and yet what that does then is if they're resolved, we're a bunch of whiners who aren't happy with our settlement. And that's why yep. we keep going to court. Yeah, it, and that is yeah. the gen, that's the general attitude of the Canadian population. It is, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because uh, just recently I had an experience where I got to kind of listen to a conversation between um, somebody who, who is, uh, you know, um, an immigrant to this country. Uh, and, and the general attitude they had about how, and, and it came across that way to me was their general attitude towards indigenous issues was like, you know, look, Canada's a pretty good place. I don't know what you're complaining about. And it's like, well, uh, you know, and, but again, that's, what's being taught out there in schools. That's what the general attitude is from the vast majority of Canadians. So it's and so it's no no surprise that people you know immigrants are starting to feel that way and and things like that. So it very much does meet that narrative you just were speaking of that you know indigenous issues are dealt with. Let's just move on. That's in the past. Yeah, and then if we want to challenge that, it's our it's indigenous people who have the problem. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then this kind of re, you know it harkens back to a comment I received from uh, Minister Carolyn Bennett on one of her Sunday chats. Where I asked her a question and her response was, well, you know, they've added funding to the court challenges program, so feel free. And uh, I've talked about yeah. how, you know, the government telling its people to sue them. But this is where we're at today, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we should, let's get back, I'm, I'm getting ranty, I can tell already, so let's get back <laughs> to education here. Uh-huh. 
And I think, uh, so some of the last few things, there was the lack of uh, competency in most areas of study, which obviously leads to huge gaps. I mean, when you don't teach anything about an, an entire people and then you expect those students to go out and help those people and they have no understanding, it creates huge problems, which is where you get the systemic racism and things like that. Um, and then, again, I, I think the last thing was just the assumptions that uh, general Canadians have about the free education, uh, questions like, well, who are Métis people? What, what is a Métis? And things like that. Uh, all that people, the, these people that sent us comments and, and emails, that's what they, a lot of them came up with was they get a lot of that. So Absolutely, yeah. Which is really sad. I mean, you know, and I've noticed it lately too. When I say Métis, like, uh, you know, or I give somebody my email and it's got Métis in it, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. So. But, but and that's the whole challenge that you and I have talked about lots. We have these huge government-funded organizations that are there to, to not only, or should not only there to lobby the government on our behalf or take them to court when it's necessary, but should be the source, the systemic source of the promotion of Métis identity and Métis culture. And it hasn't happened in so long now that we've had generations of settler society grow up who don't understand who the Métis people are. They don't understand what role we've played right across Canada in, 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 you know, in any avenue. And so really, what does it mean to be Métis? And I think, you know, tonight really highlights it doesn't matter whether you're Métis and you're going to university or you're a settler and you're going to university. This, the same question is still valid is what does it mean to be Métis? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I think the thing, too, for me is it doesn't matter what, what card you have in your wallet. It doesn't matter whether you're the big M, little M, or whatever crap-tastic thing is on Facebook these days. The bottom line is, is this is what Métis kids are facing, or Métis young men and women uh, of all types. That's what they're facing. And this shit needs to end. This is the, the crap that is going to continue to propel us. And when you talk about reconciliation, to me it starts in kindergarten. That's where we should be starting reconciliation right now. Um Flying a flag at City Hall is fantastic. It gets a great picture. But when you're still teaching that Riel is a, a traitor, all from K right through university, their reconciliation cannot happen. Um, but that this is where it starts. And I think these are great highlights as to why or where we should be focusing some effort. I think so. And I think that the counter to that, too, is we have to uh, really look ourselves in the mirror and take back um the conversation we need we need to own the space so when it comes to you know the conversations about community and ties to community that we have a very clear and defined idea of what a vibrant metis community looks like in the present tense yeah absolutely absolutely and i i think for me one of the biggest things that i i would love to see is i'd love to see more metis people with the confidence to to stand up and say they're metis and and not bow down to the um you know the fear of, of being, in, you know, intimidated by a room full of other Indigenous people. Um, we have to claim our space back. We have to, we have to stand up and be there and be heard. Um, and, and sadly for a lot of people, both, the, you know, First Nations and, and non-Indigenous, uh, you know, Canadians, is you may, you may actually may be one of the first Métis they've actually come across that they know of. So... Yep. That they, they've ever that they've ever heard say they're Métis. I mean, I know a lot of people that uh, I work with. They have no idea I'm Métis because I just I'm, I'm not that close with them. So, uh, yep. 
you know, you, well, so we got to remember the challenge. That. I think the challenge too is it as I know as a, a parent, it's something that uh, that we worked hard to do around my house, and I know it was one of the driving reasons why we started the camp was to be able to provide that that cultural space um, for people yeah. who, the, as parents, didn't grow up with a strong Métis identity, and and aren't you know don't have that background in themselves, and then have children and they're not sure what to do with that or how how to reclaim that part or that space in their life. I think that's why our culture camp and camps like that are so vitally important. Absolutely. I agree. I think, um, you know, that's one of the things we, I think we initially intended the camp to be one of the, you know, you drop your kids off and we take your kids for a week and then you come pick them up. So that's great. And, and maybe one day we will get there, but I think one of the nice things that I've realized about having it a family camp where, you know, you know, uh, the parent or guardian has to come with them is that they do get to learn as well as their children do. Um, they do get to take part in the activities and they do it with their kids. So it's kind of like a bonding experience for them, but it, it, it's building that culture within the family. And we are a family based people. We are very much kin and, and family. And I think that's one of the great things about the way the camp is right now is that we're asking families to come out to camp for a week and learn what it is to be on the land and connect with the land and be part of a culture and, and these things together and do it together. So I thought that, I think that's, that's been a surprising positive thing that's come out of our camp for me. Absolutely. And that's one thing I'm looking forward to building on again this year is to, to be able to expand on that and hopefully have more, more of those shared experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I guess on a good note, we do have a few people that have RSVP'd for the camp, so that's great. I'm, um, we're up to, I think, 10 people now want to come to camp. So, yeah, that's really awesome. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about as far as uh, education, even you know, going back to last week's conversation about uh, you know K through 12 kind of thing, and then university. Is there anything you want to kind of last comment, Jason? Get on Facebook and support the Exonerate Real thing. We need to get behind that and make that a reality. Because I, I think we need to take those words out of the curriculum, resistance and rebellion and traitor. Yes. I, I can't. I think if your kid is going to be going to the public school system and having to be in that space, then we need to own that conversation as Métis people, and it starts with exonerating Real. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, so everybody get out there. I think there's a petition. You probably can just Google search exonerate Louis Riel and you'll get the petition. But uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Jason. That's We have to get moving on these things. And the only way it's going to get moving is if Métis people do it. We can't leave this to you know people who don't care like the cartel. So they Well, it, it, takes, it takes more than your signature and not mine. Well, it sure does. And uh, I think what it takes, too, is I think it takes uh, emails and phone calls to your MP, your MLA, uh, start hounding these politicians because they will move if they start getting enough uh, noise made in their general direction. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's been to the House Parliament a few times now, and it's never happened, but I certainly would like to see that happen in my lifetime. I'd like to see my daughter go to university in eight or nine years if she chooses to, and I would really like her not to be learning that in university. So um, so let's make this happen, you know? We can do it. That's right. But, so what events do we got coming up this week now? Uh, well, 
there's the on February 14th, there's the annual Valentine's Day Women's Memorial March to honor missing and murdered Indigenous women. So again, mm, get out there for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, yeah, just get out there. It's uh, head to Facebook and search for it, and you'll find it. Um, and next week, I am hoping, cross my fingers, to have uh, an interview with uh, the Walking with Our Sisters Calgary group that is trying to bring that to Calgary. And I think it's coming here, I want to say April or May, but we'll obviously get those answers next week when I talk to them. So, oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. So look forward to that. And that is all I have for now. And Jason, anything? No, try to stay out of this snow. <laughs> right on. All right, that's it for now. Until uh, next week, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. I don't mean a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. <laughs>